What a crazy day. What a crazy day. That's how you get to your seat right there. I love that. Um, yeah, we got, uh, we, got a, we got an awesome thing going on in the mission today. Um, how many of you guys are going to go down to that? What? Come on. I, I am going. If you want to go with me uh, to this amazing event going on in the mission, I hear we're going to see or hear a parade at about, in about 30 minutes go by here. But if you want to come hang out, uh, my wife and I are going down there, and uh, we're just going to meet on the plaza like 30 minutes after our gathering. We're just going to hang out. Uh, come, come meet us. Come, come walk down there with us. This is our first time being there, so we need a tour guide. So if you've been there, help us out. Uh, we may not come back unless we have some, uh, some help. But uh, it's a great weekend. Please do remember all the amazing people who've given their lives for this country and for freedom. Uh, and democracy, but just all kinds of great things I hope you get to do and enjoy. And here we are, of course, uh, at, at church. We get to worship the Lord. So if you're visiting with us, uh, come back next week. Stay for the rest of our time, but come back next week. We want you to meet uh, the rest of our church as it is a three-day weekend. Uh, but if you're comfortable, there's a little Connect card in front of you in the pew. Just grab one of those cards. Fill that guy out. We'd love to connect with you. Drop us an email, a phone number, something like that. And after the gathering on the other side of that wall, there's two beautiful tables and some amazing people who would love to meet you. They'll trade uh, you for that little card. They'll give you a little uh, coffee card and a gift. Again, it's our way of saying thank you. We love you. And we want to, again, connect with you. So uh, uh, say hi to us. And then we got, of course, our big old community cell going down. Everybody should have got one of these in their inserts. We still need, like, tons of help, you guys. You know how big this event is. So everybody hold this guy up. <clears throat> okay. Where is it at? There, I just want to create some accountability here. That's all. There we go. Wave them. Now, everybody say on three, I'm going to help with a sale. That's such a low blow right there. <laughs> like, you can't make me do this. Uh, but no, seriously, if you have time, on the back of this insert, there's two little calendars. Um, our team has done a great job putting this stuff together. But we want to know when you can be involved in the sale. Again, this is a big community sale. Uh, we need all kinds of used goods donated. We sell these things. Uh, during about an eight-hour period on a Saturday. All the dates are on here. We need goods. We need help. Uh, we need delivery people, all kinds of fun stuff. It's a great way to get to know people. We use this money uh, to pour it back into the city to help the church out. So, again, it's just a great, great thing to get involved with. Now, uh, if you're involved with this every year and you're like, ah, I, I know when I come. I know when I come. We still need to know when you're coming. We're, this, this is taking a lot of organizational um, strength and, and, and mental power. We just got to get this thing down, man. So do fill this out no matter who you are, no matter what your involvement is, and drop it off at the same two desks right on the other side of uh, this wall. Um, Jessica, raise your hand real quick. Jess is helping coordinate this. Agata is also, but she is dancing in the festivities right now. You can see her this afternoon if you hang out with me. All right, all right, are we ready? Hey, let me throw one more cool thing out. Our community group on Thursday night is beautiful and beautiful and beautiful. I can't say enough. We had the most amazing time last Thursday. We are developing two more, if not three more, community groups really quickly. If you're here and you're like, man, I would love to be in a community of people. I would love to open my home. I'd love to see what that takes to start a community group. 
Come talk to me. We want to keep developing these. Um, there is an email in your bulletin. If you want more information on the existing one going on Thursday night, uh, hit us up. I lead that. It's a beautiful, beautiful time. We've got new people coming all the time, so it's a very sweet, sweet thing to be involved with. Now, we got a new series going on. Let's throw that graphic up. I'm super excited about this right here. We're calling this series A Rebel's Fight for Joy. And it's from the book of Philippians. And we're just going to look at the, the Apostle Paul. He's, a, he's an early church father, if you can call him that. He's a Christian who started a lot of churches. And uh, he, he writes this amazing letter to this really broken church. And these people in this church are, are struggling with joy, you guys. And this letter is just littered with all kinds of amazing supernatural principles on how to, how to have amazing joy. And, and the reason we're calling this a rebel's fight for joy is because he, he just totally rebels, one, against the culture and everything the culture tells uh, human beings about joy. And then two, he totally goes against the grain on how to find true joy. So I think as we go through Philippians, maybe we'll, we'll spend six weeks or eight weeks or something in this series, you're going to learn all kinds of amazing things. Bring someone who's sad. Yeah? Just bring someone who's sad. Like, even if they're mad at you or sad, just be like, hey, let's go to church together. We won't look at each other. We'll sit on other sides of the room, but we're going to learn how to have joy. Uh, but seriously, bring yourself, bring a friend, and this is going to be a really, really, really good uh, series. Now, I was writing, uh, I tend to get off campus, and I, I try to write these sermons. I like to be inspired by human beings. And uh, I have this little Chinese restaurant I go to. I'm not going to tell you where it's at because it's my alone time. And uh, I'm writing on joy. I am, I am writing on joy. I have a, my Mac open, and I've got this amazing plate of Chinese food. And I don't know if there's two more amazing things than Chinese food and the Word of God. I'm sitting there, you guys. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm eating, and I'm finished, and, and then the cookie speaks, the fortune cookie. I'm not kidding you. I break open my fortune cookie. We're going to get in Philippians in just a minute. Don't worry. I break open my fortune cookie, and it straight up says, happiness is coming to you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm writing a series on joy, and like the cookie speaks, like God speaks through the cookie, and I'm just like, really, Lord? Like, even here through this, you're, this is amazing stuff. So, if God speaks in his word and the cookie speaks, you come here and you be filled with joy. I'm super excited about this. I'm full of joy. Now, let me ask you a question, uh, and, and we worked this out in our small group, and it was a fantastic talk. How would you even define joy? Like, we all want it, Right? But can we even define it? And, you know, everybody's heard the difference between happiness and joy and all of that good stuff. But what is joy? Uh, I would even challenge you, not now, but after the gathering, to Google it. Not even in just like a, a Christianese kind of thing over here, but in a psychological framework over here. I mean, just Google it. Nobody has a definition for it. But it's this most exotic experience or state of being that you could possibly enter into. I, I believe from birth, even children, they're crying out for joy. They, they don't want pain. Human beings don't want pain. We want joy. But what is it? I mean, you're not going to attain it unless you figure out what this thing is. So I, I have this working definition that I think is going to change over the next six weeks, but I want to give you this. I'll say it a couple times. Maybe you put this in your phone or something like that. But I want to I work out what I believe joy is, at least this week, as God speaks to my heart and this develops, we'll keep sharing this. But here's what joy is in my mind. Joy is a state of being, and that's, that's what I like. 
It's not an experience per se. It's not an emotion per se. We actually fleshed this out at our small group. I think I was wrong, and they were helping me out kind of develop this idea. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not just a, a one-time experience now. It's not, a, it's not an emotion. It's a state of being. It's like you are in a state of mind, of heart, of soul, your psyche. Every part of you is in this kind of amazing place of contentment and peace. And yet the world's going around you. Chaos is going around you. The, the physical body is breaking down. And the world, you know, all it takes is to go on the news, you know, CNN or Fox or wherever you're at. And you read this, this long list of news articles and you're just like, man, the world's on fire. And, and your own life is hard. And maybe you just got through finals or whatever it is. Or maybe you're looking for a job or marriage or whatever it is. Like, how can we really have joy? Just picture this in your mind, wherever you're at in life. Picture all the chaos of life going on around you, and yet you're sitting there in this state of being. You are living in this state of mind and heart <clears throat> to where you are, you are content and at peace. And you're like, come on, dude, really? Like, that can really happen? Well, if God is God and the Bible is inspired by God, then apparently it can. Apparently it can. And I liken it to this, guys. I love the ocean. I've shared that with you. And when I go down to the ocean, I always get this idea by watching the, the ocean and it's rumbling, it's, it's violence on the surface. It's, it's crashing, it's moving, it's chaotic. And that feels, <clears throat> that feels like life up here. It, it's, it's moving and it's dangerous and it's broken and it's thrashing and it's, I don't know, it's almost, there's almost... There's almost a fear when you look at how the ocean moves at times. And yet if you were to drop down 100 feet, 200 feet in the ocean, there would, there would be a calmness. It's still. It's quiet. There's a hush, a serenity, a peace, a contentment. And that's what I want in my life. That's what God promises, that up here, everything can be going crazy. But if you learn the secret, as Paul calls it, of true joy... You can be down here still and, and full of peace. So I want to ask you a question. Do you have joy? Oh, oh, let me reframe that. If you're a Christian, you have joy. Are you experiencing joy? And if you're not experiencing joy, which is all of us from time to time, but if you're not experiencing joy overwhelmingly, you need to ask yourself why. Let's figure out how to release the joy. Now, look at Galatians 5.22. I'll throw it up on the screen behind me. And this is the beauty of Christianity. If you're like, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. I kind of left the faith. I'm back trying to figure this thing out. I want to entice you. I want to show you how beautiful Christianity is. This is the promise of God. Like he goes like this. If you'll accept Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior, if you'll leave, if you'll walk away from rejecting him, if you'll walk away from denying him, and you'll turn to him, and you'll say, yes, Jesus, you are real, and I want to be forgiven of my sins, and I want to receive you as my Savior. I want to follow you. Here's what Christianity is. And if it's been binding from time to time, if it's been binding growing up in a Christian home or something, this is Christianity, guys. Get this. Especially if you're not a Christian. This is what we're promised right here. When you get saved, when you become a Christian, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ then the Spirit of Christ becomes one with you, like Jesus Christ's Spirit. And if you think about Jesus Christ, he's the Son of God. He's God. He is the author of joy. He's the author of love. 
He's the author of peace. And he goes like this. If you'll simply trust in me, come to me for the forgiveness of, of your sins, I will dwell with you and I will give you what I have. Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit of Jesus gives you when you become a Christian is love. I mean, guys, do you love people? Do you feel love in you? He says it's joy. Like, do you feel joy? I mean, when all hell is breaking loose, a peace and a contentment. Now, we got to tap in on how to release that because it's not that easy. It's not a, a switch we flip. He goes like this. You get peace. Do you, do you have peace? Like, do you feel peace? And by the way, you know what's hard about this verse? There's nobody else in this verse. Like, no man takes your love away. No person takes your joy away. No person takes your peace away. And I'm like, ah, Paul, stop. Stop. I, I need to use that because when I don't have love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, I want to be able to point to someone. Amen moment right there? Like bad amen moment? It's, I love justifying it because, it's, you know, it's very easy to say, well, if, if they would stop doing this, then I would. But no, it's the very opposite. It means when they're doing it. It means when things are going crazy, I, I still have this supernatural love, this supernatural joy or, or contentment and peace. I have this, this patience. I have this kindness. I'm good to people. I'm not slipping away, but I'm going deeper with God. Like, this is the power of the spirit of Jesus. This is what the gospel brings. This is what Christianity promises. So the big question is, that's kind of pie in the sky, good bumper sticker Christian radio stuff. How do we make it real? How do you walk out of here today and actually unlock this? Paul says in Philippians 4, there's a secret I had to learn. And it's not known to everybody. And we want to unlock that secret. So check out Philippians chapter 2. Let's uh, peer into the pages here. You guys good out there? You look great. So here we go. Here's the big question of this series. Is it really possible to be joyful? Now, I'm serious. Like a deep peace and contentment, even in the face of our daily troubles, even though things are going on, and this is what Philippians is about, okay? Now, I want to celebrate what's happening right now. I want to celebrate that. The new birth, the new birth, and I mean that. There is so much beauty in thinking about, in thinking about that beautiful gentleness right there. God gives us a new birth. He, he, he gives us a second shot at life, and now we can cry out to him and experience these things. We can, we can, we can experience the comfort of a father. This is yours. This is your birthright. So think about this just for a minute. Is it really possible? What is Philippians about? It's about finding joy in the chaos of life. So here's the scene. The Apostle Paul, you can read it in the book of Acts, he goes around and he, he tells people about Jesus city to city. And these people, they receive Jesus as their Savior. And Paul goes, okay, there's 10 of you. We're going to start meeting in a house. You're now a church. And then he goes to the next city and he's like, keep following Jesus. I'll be back. And then he, he goes to the next city. He goes to a city called Corinth. And he, he starts telling people about Jesus. These people receive Jesus as their Savior. He goes, you're now a church. I want you to start meeting in this house. You, you're going you're gonna to be the pastor. I'm going to train you a little bit. And you guys, you guys learn about Jesus. And he continues doing that. Now, he started a church in the city called Philippi. All right? 
And uh, he, goes, he goes to continue the journey, so he leaves the Philippian church behind him. He goes off to start these other churches, and many, many years have gone by since he started that church. Now, Paul's a rebel. I was just reading in, in uh, 2 Timothy, uh, he's in jail, and he knows he's about to be killed, and he goes like this, all the churches have forsaken me, everybody's forsaken me, my life my life is too radical. I've been a fork in the road. My life is causing people to make decisions for Jesus, and people are fighting against me. But I, I have to finish this race. And so he's locked up for this radical life he's living for Jesus Christ. Now check it out. Here's what happens. He's in a form of house arrest. He's sitting at a desk in a little hut-like house, and next to him is a Praetorian guard, one of Caesar's guard, and he's chained to that guard. And he's allowed paper and pen, so he's, he's allow, allowed to write letters and send those letters off and kind of correspond with other churches and see how believers are doing and all of that. And uh, by the way, this is, uh, you guys know the, the armor of God in, in Ephesians. Everybody's, everyone knows the armor of God. This is, what, this is where Paul got it. He's, he's sitting at a desk. He can't leave this room. He's got a Praetorian guard next to him, and he's like, I need to encourage churches I need some symbolism. I need them to understand what the Christian life is like. And so he's writing this letter to all these churches. He looks over and he goes, okay, there's a, there's a Roman guard. The Christian life is like, well, it's like his helmet. You better guard your thought life. Then he goes, the, the gospel needs to be preached like sandals on the feet. He looks down at the guard's feet and, and he says, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And then he says, man, that guy's got a sword. And he goes, you know, the word of God is like a sword. He's, he's glancing over. He's using this small room in all of these images that are, that are going on the room to write people these beautiful letters. And so what happens is one day he gets a knock on the door. The Praetorian guard gets up. He opens the door. It's this guy named Epaphroditus. Don't worry about remember, re remembering his name. He's got a short, a short uh, thing in this whole, whole story. So this guy comes in, Epaphroditus, and he's allowed to sit down with Paul, and there's the guard. And he says, Paul, you don't know me, but I'm Epaphroditus, and uh, I almost died getting here. I'm from the Philippian church. It's been a long time since you've seen us, Paul. We've gathered up some money. we gathered up some clothes. we got a couple of books for you uh, so you can spend your time in a, in, a, in a fresh way while you're in this house arrest situation. And Paul says, hey, hey thanks a lot. I, I really appreciate it. How's the church going? And Epaphroditus goes, Paul, it's not going real good. You know, Paul started that church, you know, and he's like, man, these are like my children. He's like, what's going on? Paphroditus goes, you know, they're, they're trying to find joy, Paul. You know, by the way, imagine the, imagine the Roman guard just sitting there listening to all of this. He's thinking, man, what are these guys about? And so Paphroditus begins to explain they're, they're trying to find life, they're trying to find purpose, they're trying to find joy, and they keep stepping on each other's toes, and there's a, there's a power control thing going on with them, and they're, they're climbing over each other, and they're just, they're fighting, and they're, yet they're trying to find joy. They're not, they're not getting it. They're miserable. They're fighting. And Paul goes, well, I want to write them a letter. You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to send them an email. I'm going to write them a letter, and I want to show them how to have joy. And in this little book of Philippians, he covers many things. He, he, he begins to explain to them, 
Hey, you Philippians, if you're suffering, I'm going to show you how to have joy in suffering. And then he goes like this. If you're having relational problems, I, I want to show you through unity how to find joy. You will find joy, release joy through unity. Selflessness. Then he goes like this. Um, I want to show you how to find joy through your thought life by thinking the right things. The reason you don't have joy is because you're not thinking about the right things. So he goes, he goes through about four or five different things and says, guys, I'm going to coach you the whole way and show you all the way through how to find joy in every circumstance so you can begin to practice this and really, truly experience this thing. So look at Philippians 2.2. 2. That just gives me like the most joy right there. Look at Philippians 2.2 2, uh, real quick. People are like, why did you leave Elk Grove, a suburb of Sacramento, to come here? Like, are you serious? <laughs> this is a party. This is fantastic. But uh, watch what he does. He begins to flesh out the problems here in Philippians 2, 2. He goes, complete my joy. So not, not only were, were they lacking joy, but Paul, as the leader, was lacking joy because of the friction going on. And he goes, by being of the same mind. So they weren't unified in their minds. By having the same love, they weren't loving each other correctly. They were thinking of themselves and controlling things. Being in full accord and of one mind, he goes, do nothing from selfish ambition. Like, you can't, you're in a community, a church now. Don't do things out of selfish ambition. Do things for other people for the glory of Jesus. He goes, don't do things out of conceit. Well, I, I deserve to be able to do this. Well, I have the right to be able to do this. He's like, no, do it. Do it if it's of Jesus. Do it if it's of love. He goes like this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So we see that there's real problems going on uh, in these people's lives. And so Paul's like, look, I want to coach you out of it. And guys, let me explain a couple, a couple of quick things before we dive into this. Um, these believers in this church, and the same thing is going on with us today, these these Christians were trying to find this inner peace, this inner contentment in all the wrong things. You say, what do you, what do you mean? Well, they're embedded in Greek culture, just like we're embedded in a secular culture. And the culture is constantly telling us a message on where we're going to find contentment and peace. And for the most part, it's about getting yours. That's how you're going to find it, by getting more money, by, by having more power. Those are the narratives of our city. And yet Paul says, you got to walk away from that culture. you got to rebel. you got to be a rebel in a little bit of a way. And you got to find out how God designs joy to be released in your life. And what's so amazing about our world is, if you think about it, especially in the Bay Area, and these things are not wrong necessarily, but we're improving, we're innovating, we're continually advancing in the material world. Are we not? I mean, cars are driving themselves. It's kind of cool. But if, if contentment and peace, if joy is found in receiving material things or being embedded in a material world, wouldn't everybody have more joy the more we advance? Yet what we find is we, we have less joy today the more we advance in a material world. That tells us we need to begin to take care of our inner life. Joy is found in something inside of us, not outside of us. And that's what Paul begins to shift. And I don't mean this to, to bash or anything else, but most people pay little attention to the ultimate source of joy, the mind and the heart. The mind and the heart. And this is such a, a fast-paced life. So Paul's going to teach how to find joy 
and he uses himself really as an example. And the first thing he does is he begins to talk about suffering. So if you're going through something right now, if you're really feeling, you know, the pressure of life, or you're going through some hard trials, this is the first thing Paul says is, I am in the hardest of trials, and I have a peace and a contentment. I'm sitting in a cell. So I'm going to go ahead and use my own experience and show you how I'm experiencing peace in my life. And because you're suffering much less, if I can experience it, you can experience it. Look at uh, Philippians 1.12. And this is a massive verse right here. He goes like this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. Now look up here. How you finish that sentence is everything. How you process your suffering is everything. Now Paul could go like this. I'm going to sell right now. I am, I am an amazing writer. I'm an amazing leader. I'm an amazing pastor and preacher. And I've lost it all. The things that have happened to me are so-and-so's fault, and they need to pay for it. They have destroyed my life. They have ruined this thing. The things that have happened to me, they're God's fault. You know, he could fill in that blank so many ways, but the way in which he fills in that blank, these things have happened to me because of this, allows him to release a joy that gives him a peace through it all. So how do we finish these sentences when we're in the midst of suffering? What has happened to me is a critical moment in our lives. How do we process these things? Look at Philippians 4. Uh, we'll throw it up on the screen here. Verse 10. Look at this guy. He almost drives you nuts. So remember, Epaphrodite has almost died bringing Paul like gifts. Paul's in this jail cell, and this guy travels and almost loses his life, Philippians tells us. And he knocks on the door, and Paul sees him, and he's gaunt, and he's broken, and he's probably a little bloody, and he kind of staggers in. He's probably got a fever, and he drops these goods at Paul's feet, and he says, Paul, I almost died to bring you these things. You know what Paul says? Man, thanks, but I'm okay. Like, What? No, 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 I almost died to save your neck. He's like, no, I really appreciate it, but I'm fine. Check it out, 410. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, you have revived your concern for me. You were able to bring me something. Oh, I know you were concerned for me the whole time, but you really were so poor you weren't able to bring anything until now. <clears throat> now watch what he does. Remember, this guy brought him these goods and almost died. He goes, uh, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Not that I really need anything. Paul, what are you talking about? You've lost everything. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What would that do to our lives? I know how to be brought low. I know how to lose. I know how to lose friends. I know how to lose position. I know how to lose material things and still have contentment and peace. And I know how to abound. I know how to get. I know how to be promoted. I know how to be in charge and still have a contentment. Actually, in every circumstance, watch it. I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. No matter what is going on in my life, I can do all things. I can exist in all situations because Christ Jesus is releasing a contentment, a peace, and a joy in me. That's what we're going to leave with. So I'm going to give you two thoughts super fast. What time is it? Okay. I'm going to give you two thoughts. You write them down, put them in your phone, okay? I'm going to give you two ways in which Paul the Apostle kept his joy, a peace, a state of being, 
of patience and peace and contentment in the midst of pretty big suffering. Two things. You ready? The first is this. The first thing Paul does is he accepts that he can't change his circumstances at the moment. So if you're struggling with health or you're struggling with not having a job on Sunday, right now, here you are, or if you're struggling with finances or whatever it is, the first thing Paul does to release joy is he accepts that he can't change his circumstance at the moment. Now, I'm not saying he's not advancing. I'm not saying he's not trying doors and, and trying to, to open up new, new opportunities. I'm not saying all that. But when the sun went down, when Sunday hit, when the opportunities were not available for, for him to advance in these things or try to get out of these things, he simply yielded to the idea that I can't get out of this. This is beyond me. I can't change my circumstance right here. You with me on that? I mean, that would change a ton right there. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 21, check out what he says here. He goes like this, I'm in a jail cell, they may kill me. It's totally out of my control. I can't stop what's happening. And then he goes like this in 21, but for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm going to be allowed to live, then I'm going to keep loving people, but I, I may die. And honestly, I, I don't have the choice, but if, if I did have the choice, man, I'm not even sure. And sometimes I think I'd rather be with Jesus. But what he's saying right there, you guys, is I don't know what's going to happen to me, and I'm surrendering to that. I'm yielding to it. And you say, why is that important? Because most of our loss of joy comes from wanting things to be different when we can't change them. Like we want to advance in, in a company or, or with a job or we want, to, we want to be doing something different and we just can't. Our circumstances aren't allowing it. Or we want our bodies to be functioning different or something like that. And it's so hard. But Paul says going through the daily process of yielding and accepting that which is beyond your control is the first step of peace rushing back into your life. Um, when we lived in Elk Grove, my mom had a pool at our condo, and so we would always go over there and swim because it's way too hot in Sacramento. And uh, all the heat, everything else would be in the pool, and I don't tan. The way I tan is I burn like six times, and then I get like a weird redness. So when I'm in the pool, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, in case you were wondering about my tan. And so um, I, would, I would plug my nose, and I would go underwater, and, uh, you know, my daughter would be throwing stuff at me and, and everyone's jumping in the pool and it's all hectic up here. Like, like the ocean illustration. I would plug my nose and it was always on a Sunday afternoon when I was tired. And I would just allow myself to sink to the bottom. And that's kind of the thought right there. I can't, I'm certainly not going to stop my daughter from chucking stuff at my head if I go up above the water. And I can't stop that kid who keeps cannonballing right on top of me. So I'm going to yield to that. I'm going to yield. I'm just going to sink down to the bottom and, and yield to these circumstances. And you know what it's like when you go to the bottom of the pool and it's like, a, it's like a serenity, it's a quietness. And you can kind of look up and you're just like, man. Like it's, it's almost a peaceful state of being. See, that's what Paul is saying. If you can't control it, yield to that and run the process daily of letting go to it and watch what happens. Because again, I'm speaking in my own life right now. So much of our unhappiness really originates, you guys, within our own minds. It's how we're reacting to events in our lives. 
And we can't control most things. That's what's so weird. I spend most of my time trying to control everything. And I can control almost nothing. I can't control other people or anything else. And we can't control most things. Now listen to this very carefully. We, but we can. We can influence their effects by adjusting our attitudes that we take on them. We can control how we allow them to shape us. I can't control most of the things going on in my life. Maybe I don't have a job or maybe something's going on uh, in my body physically. I can't control that. But what I can choose to control is how I allow it to impact me and change me. I can either allow it to drive me nuts and get frustrated and take that on on people and, and come home and just be agitated and never enjoy life, or I can yield to it and say, okay, I can't control and change the actual circumstance, but I'm going to use it and allow it to shape me into a better person. That's how the Apostle Paul said, yeah, I'm in jail. I've lost everything, but I'm not going to sit here. I can't control it. It's all out of my hands. I'm not going to sit here and allow it to wound me and, and shape me in a negative way. I'm going to look at it and go, okay, what can I draw from this? How can I make this help me become a better person? Well, I, I struggle with pride, Paul says. Well, maybe I need to be in here and find more peace just being me between me and God. Oh, no, I can't control it, but I can control what it's doing to me. That's in our control by perception. So the first thing he does is he accepts what he can't change. The second thing he does is instead of trying to change what he can't, he allows it to shape him into the image of Jesus Christ. And this is like the secret of life. Because you're never going to stop circumstances that are out of your control. But you can, you can create this power from God that can take every circumstance that's out of your control and allow it to shape you into somebody better. Now, what can stop us now? So every poison that's thrown at me, every chaotic thing that's thrown at me, every deathbed, every, every loss of job, every broken relationship, every loss of anything going on in my life, I have the power in my mind, no, I can't change it, but I can change the way I use it. You know, it's coming at me like this, and I just reflect it this way, and I go, watch what, I'm going to allow this to shape me into someone better. So instead of trying to change what Paul couldn't change, he allowed it to shape him into the image of Christ. Let me show you what I mean. He's like, I'm in jail. I've lost everything. Watch what I'm doing with it. No, I can't get out of here. I can't. I'm stuck. But I can allow it to make me the person I need to be. Uh, Philippians 1.19, watch this. Such a powerful verse. If you look at the last part of verse 18, remember these Bible verses are not really in the Bible. This was a letter. So when you look at the last part of 18, he goes, yes, and I will rejoice. How, Paul? You've lost everything. Yes, I will find peace and contentment. How, Paul? He goes like this. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, let me help you with that. Listen to me. He goes, I can't get myself out of this jail cell. But through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I'm going to use this for my transformation. Not deliverance. Transformation. Not salvation. Transformation. I can't change it, but I can become more like Jesus. And he says the spirit of Jesus is all about that. That's why he has Paul there anyway. So when we're in these, these situations that we can't control, the spirit of Jesus in us is going, look, let, let me shape you through this. I'm not letting you out of this right now. 
Let me shape you through this. I want you to become the person God has designed you to be, and it's through these means that we're going to do it. Yield to it. I'm not opening the door right now. You're in this. This is yours. And what we're doing is we're making you like Jesus. We're creating humility. We're creating patience. We're creating selflessness. We're teaching you to deal with things. Don't run from it. Don't fight it. Yield and learn. Literally, Philippians 1.19, Paul is saying, I cannot get out of this jail cell, but I can allow this situation to refine me. I mean, literally, Paul realized, guys, and it would be a revolutionary thing for all of us to realize this, Paul realized that he needed his trials. We run from our trials, right? Naturally, Paul needed his trials to become the person he wanted to be. Now, let me wrap this whole thing up with, with a personal illustration. It's been a crazy couple weeks for my family. My brother passed away at 40 years old in Seattle. And I don't say that to take anybody's joy away. I'm going to show you something. 40 years old. Now, a little something you got to know about my family is we are the classic family. Oh, white picket fence? No, 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 the classic family. All fractured. That's, that's most families. That's most families. So my family's very divided. Um, I was the baby, so I missed most of the chaos. My mom did an amazing job trying to keep us together, but uh, just through a lot of chaotic stuff, my family's totally shattered. My brother, I have, I'm, I'm the youngest of five. Uh, the brother closest to me passed away. I have two older brothers and an older sister. They don't talk. 20 years, you guys. 20 years. You know what they need to learn? How to love. And I don't say that, you know, judging them. I mean, I have, I have a relationship with all of them because I miss the chaos, and I'm the baby. But they need to learn to love each other. They need to learn how to come back together. 20 years. How? Well, obviously, good old life didn't do it. Tragedy comes into my, my family. Boom. My brother passes away unexpectedly, 40 years old. My family's freaking out. They're broken. They're shattered. They come together the first time in 20 years. They start sending me pictures. Like they're texting me pictures, and I'm like flinching like, okay, someone's probably punched somebody. They're hugging. They're loving. They're working together. They're eating meals together. And I'm like, what is this? What is going on right now in my family? And then I start hearing it from each one of them as I, as I talk to them. We can't change what happened. Our brother's gone. But we can use it to make us the people we should have been for 20 years. That's Paul's secret to joy. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know what's going on. I'm kind of freaked out even to go up there. <laughs> I'm getting these texts and I'm like, who are you people? This is amazing. Now we can't change it, but we can use it to make us who we're supposed to be. Whatever you're going through, if you're suffering in any way, you can look at it from one angle and you can say, this is so bad. This is so sad. But if you look from another angle, or whatever the trial is, that same event, you see that it can actually make you the person you need to be if you yield and let it. That's where contentment, 
That's where harmony is experienced. That's where joy is lived out. Amen? Let's bow our heads. And I, I just want to speak to you just uh, with your heads bowed. Just listen to my voice. First of all, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is seriously the God we, we love. He, he can do this in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. These are the gifts he wants to give you. And maybe the great tragedy or the great trial drove you here. And maybe you would yield to it and allow it make, to make you the person that God has designed you to be. Why don't you come to God? Why don't you turn from rejecting Jesus Christ and turn to him? The best way you know how, right now in the quietness of your own heart, just talk to him, ask him to forgive you of your sins and save you. And know this new life. And if you're here and you're a Christian, man, if you're going through a trial, guys, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But you can take it one way. You can allow it to make you ugly in spirit. You can fight it. You can be frustrated. You can grow bitter. Or with me, you can realize, I can't change this. It's happening. I need to use this and allow it to shape me into a better human. I want to find joy by doing this again, a peace. It's not pain without purpose now. It's pain with purpose. And that's where you find your peace. We give you this time before the Lord. Speak to him, commune with him, talk to him. Begin this journey with him this morning. Don't waste your suffering. Find joy and let it shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. Keep praying.